Well, good morning, and uh, good to have you here at the Leewood campus on this holiday weekend. I guess it's holiday weekend. All week is sort of the holiday, um, and uh, if you're here visiting, you're back from college. I know the first service, there were several of them back from college. I want to give you a warm welcome. My name, again, is Tom Nelson. We're really glad you're here, and uh, I don't know what your Thanksgiving has. Uh, our Thanksgiving, we're going to be driving to Dallas to see my father-in-law, and uh, so hopefully I won't bore my wife too much. It's a long time in the car to figure out what to talk about. So, But uh, I hope your week is a good week, and I love Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday because I love food and football and all kinds of fun things and not having to try to get all kinds of Christmas presents in a hurry or something like that, you know. So it's a great time, and again, we want to welcome you, especially if you're visiting. Uh, we're really, really glad you're here. What if I said to you this morning that this book can change your life, that nothing changes us like this book. What would be your response? Well, for some this morning, maybe you're like, I'm not sure. Some of you are like, yes, I'm with you. Others may be thinking, wow, I don't know. I'm not even sure this thing is all true, or sometimes it seems out of touch to the modern world. A lot of us have different perspectives on this book, don't we? But what if I were to just say, this book can change your life, it can bring a new intimacy with God, it can change your marriage if you're married, it can bring wisdom to the marketplace, that this book can absolutely change your life. Now, some of you are like, I'm not sure, I've heard pastors hype before, you know, I'm not a real hyper, I don't think, but sometimes I'm hyper, but that's another story. Um, but a lot of times we hear people who, you know, overpromise and un- underdeliver, right? I mean, pastors are known for hype. So when I say that, maybe you have a bit of a pushback. Maybe you have, uh, you know, read this Bible in the past, or at least you tried to. You know, you started with a New Year's resolution. We all have New Year's resolutions. You know, like eating right and getting to the gym, right? And we make it to the gym the first month in January if we're lucky, right? I mean, maybe you have sort of this idea. Maybe you have opened this book every day in a reading plan, You heard of a Bible reading plan? Christians have Bible reading plans. Think, I'm going to really be a super Christian this week. This whole year, I'm going to open this book. So we start a reading plan. And uh, we start in January, January 1, right? It's it's a, uh, the day's off. We don't have to go to work, right, or school. So right away, we open the book. Hey, we got this down. You know, we can read a chapter this morning. So we start with New Year's. And uh, we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. And we even might make it through the week. Maybe two weeks, and we start in Genesis. It's really exciting in Genesis. If you remember the before, this is like a cool story. We like Exodus. I mean, it's pretty amazing stuff. But then, <laughs> then we hit Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. You guys are really smart today. Must be a smart group. And Leviticus is sort of like the wall. You know, it's like the runner's wall. If you run a marathon, you know, you hit this wall. And you go, oh, my goodness, Leviticus. So, you know, you say, I can't do this. I can't do this Bible reading thing. And you just kind of, you know, toss the towel. You throw up the white flags. I can't do this. And some of you have maybe made it through the wall, made it through Leviticus. You go, yes, the Bible's pretty cool. Maybe you've made it through much of it. Maybe you've read a lot of it. And some of us, like me, I've read this Bible since I was wee, you know, this high. And uh, some of you are thinking, you know, I've read this Bible a lot, but I have a lot of questions. I don't understand all of it. You know, I'm, I'm there with you. And some of us may be thinking this morning, you know, I've read this and read this. When I look at my life, I really don't think it's changed me very much. And so we have all kinds of responses to this book. 
We have different perspectives. But what if I told you that if you opened up this book every day, it would radically change your life? What if I told you that the most important thing you could do to bring change in your life is to open this book every day? So what do you think? If you were to read this Bible every day, I want to suggest to you, and I don't want to sound like George Zimmer, the, you know, the, the, the warehouse guy, that I guarantee it, right? But I would suggest to you that if you open this book, it would change how you did your business. It would bring a new sense to your marriage, if you're married, or to loving your roommate, your friends at school. It would bring a whole new dimension of how to live life and also to give you deeper intimacy with God. I really believe that. I know a pastor is supposed to say that, right? But I really believe it. Even if I wasn't a pastor, I would tell you that the most important thing perhaps you can do this year is to open up this book every day. I really, really believe this so much that I want to share with you why this morning. And what I'd like to do is three things. So if you want to sort of sense the trajectory of where I think I'm supposed to head this morning. First of all, I want to remind us what a treasure this book is. What a treasure it is. Then I want to address, yes, it's perhaps the elephant in the room. I have a telling irony we face about the Bible. We know it's a true treasure, most of us, if we're into the Bible. And if we're not into the Bible, I want to encourage you to read it because it's one of the most classic pieces of literature of Western literature. But there is an irony in terms of us actually reading it. It's a telling irony. And then I want to talk about a terrific year that we have in 2013 for us. So where I want to go this morning is to unpack this text this morning a bit and explain what a treasure it is, I trust. But then I'm going to meddle a little bit, okay? So if you're with me, hang with me, that there's an irony we have to deal with about this book. And then I want to talk about a year that I am really excited about, and that's the year 2013 and what we're planning on doing, okay? So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 19, If you have it on your iPad, your written Bible, whatever it is, open it if you have it in front of you. And let's dive in. This is viewed as one of the most awesome masterpieces ever written. I'm not saying that. A pretty sharp guy said that. His name is C.S. Lewis, pretty sharp literary critic from Oxford. And this is what Lewis said. Amazing. He said this, I take this to be, uh, C.S. Lewis did just say this, okay, So I just, he says, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter, that's the Psalms, and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. I agree with him. I I always agree with C.S. Lewis, it's a good thing. But let's take a closer look, okay? Psalm 19. Now, where I'd like to press in is verses 7 through 10, but let's frame it. In verses 1 through 6, as you heard it read this morning, David first marvels at how God speaks in creation. And then he transitions in a poetic verse of a six meter. It's going to be important in just a moment. In verses 7 through 10, he unpacks that God speaks in words. God is a speaking God. And I want you to understand and frame it that there is an echoing of Genesis 1 here. In Genesis 1, we have God speaking creation into existence six days, and then God rests the seventh day. David frames this. David, who is most likely the author who wrote it 3,000 years ago, he frames it in a six meter because God is not done speaking. 
So the Hebrew reader would have seen this flow in this poetic beauty, okay? So let's enter into verses 7 through 10 in 6 meter. You're going to notice the sixes. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord, or judgments, in other words, are true and righteous altogether. They are more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Now, David, perhaps in a Middle Eastern sky at night, looks at the world around him. He was used to this and said, God is speaking. God is speaking in nature, and everything I see is the creator. And it's as he climbs the highest heights of giddy delight in the sky, and he begins to unpack the beauty of God's speech. And he does it by unpacking four aspects of the treasure of this book. Four aspects. I'm going to unpack those just for a moment. First, what he does is he tells us that this book has a divine source. A divine source. You will notice in verses 7 and following, there are six framings of the word the Lord, of the Lord, of the Lord, of the Lord, of the Lord. You see that. So David wants us to understand in this six-meter poetry that this book has divine fingerprints all over it. It's a divine book. God spoke the universe into existence. He spoke this book into existence, the same creator God. Uh, Rabbi Paul, who becomes the Apostle Paul, understands this as well. And he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy in the New Testament, chapter 3.16. And he says, all Scripture, all encoded written Scripture of this book, in the Old Testament particularly, he's talking about there, all Scripture is God-breathed, is inspired. So the picture is, is this book is a unique book in that it is unique God-speech. Secondly, notice what David says. Not only does it have a divine source, it also has the divine characteristics of the author. It has a divine character. So in verses 7 through 9, again, you get a six couplet, six aspects of the divine character of this book. You'll notice he begins first, the law of the Lord is perfect. Perfect here means whole or integral. At Christ's coming, we talk a lot about this word in Razor's Edge and our spiritual formation of integralness, how God designed us. It paints the picture of how God designed the world and how God designed you to life, to live life and to flourish. It is whole. Secondly, he says, it is sure. The idea here in the, in the Hebrew text means it is solid. It is dependable. You can stand on it and count on it. Notice also, if you have your text open, it is also right. This is the third of the six. Or the idea, it is good. It is just like creation. It is good every day. God created the world. It is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. But notice also for, it is pure. Or the idea here is authentic or the real thing. Or it is clean, number five. Or it is true. In other words, it can be trusted totally. So what is David the psalmist saying? He is saying this book is the authentic, real deal of God's speech. God has spoken in it. 
It is not counterfeit. It is authentic. And once something is deemed authentic, it becomes priceless. Have you noticed that lately? Or if you're into art or follow art, this summer something happened that is new in the history of art sales in the world. Maybe you saw it in your newspaper. This year, a painting by a Norwegian painter called Edvard Munch, maybe you followed him, uh, this was, is called The Scream. It makes me scream looking at it, actually. But it's deemed an authentic masterpiece of this Norwegian artist. And do you know how much it went for in New York this summer? It was a world record for an authentic masterpiece. The Scream sold for, get this, $119,922,500 measly dollars. Wow. Record. Crossed the $100 million line and then some for this masterpiece. Because it is deemed authentic, and when something is authentic, it becomes virtually priceless. And what David is saying 3,000 years ago is this is the priceless, authentic God's speech book. It has divine characteristics all over it. But he doesn't just stop there. You'll notice he does another six couplet about the Scripture's divine power. Again, there are six, and that's very important to David here. God is still speaking. He is not Shabbating. He is not Sabbathing on his speech. Very important. And he says six of them. First, well, how do we see this power? David says it revives the soul. A way we might unpack that is that it, it opens our passion. It brings passion to our heart. So David is saying, open this book for passion, to have passion about life. But he also says, makes wise. Notice the next couplet. In other words, it gives us wisdom. So he says, open this book if you need wisdom in your life. This is the path to wisdom. But not just wisdom, he says, notice, it rejoices the heart. Do you need joy in your life? Is life tough? Is it life hard? Are you discouraged? Open this book for joy. That's what he says. But he also says it has the power to bring discernment. It enlightens the eyes. Do you need guidance in your life? You're facing a difficult business situation? A difficult marriage, a difficult situation at school. He says, open this book for guidance. But not only that, he says, it endures forever. What is he saying? It's a little harder to grasp that one. The idea of the language is it is secure. It gives you confidence. If you need security in your life, this is where you are to tether it to. Open this book and find confidence to live life and to be secure. But he says, last, this book brings righteousness. Righteousness is, um, you know, often kind of a self-righteousness, right? It's kind of like, ah, you know. We don't like that, and that's not a good thing, self-righteousness. But the idea here is it reflects God's design. It makes us whole. This is how we find life as God designed it. This is how we flourish in all dimensions of our life when we open, meditate, and apply this book. And then, in verse 13, David says, I shall be blameless. The idea here is not perfection. None of us are perfect this side of eternity. We all have sin. The idea is wholeness or integralness. This book is the path to live an integral life, to live whole and full. So David is saying in this 
classic masterpiece, that God not only has the power to move atoms, the first part of the psalm, God has the power to change hearts and to give us life. That's how powerful this book is. One thing that's fascinating, if you read the Quran, and a while back I read it again, there is a rephrasing of this phrase throughout the book of those of us who are part of the Judeo-Christian faith. The Quran describes Christians as repeatedly people of the book. Now, what does the Quran know? What does Islam know about the Christian faith? That it is embedded in this book. And the power to transform people's lives is in this book. The oppression in Iran of our brother Farshid and other persecuted Christians, one of the biggest attempts of a religious theocracy or a secular government to stop Christianity is to get rid of this book. What do they know? Because when people read this book and open this book, it has the power to completely transform their life. How they see the world, how they love, their loyalties, their affections. It has divine power. The writer of Hebrews in the New Testament picks this up, that this book, though embedded in history, embedded in human language, authored by the Holy Spirit, brings transformation to people's lives. It is alive. It has that kind of power. And in Hebrews 4, verses 12 through 13, let me read that for you. You don't have to turn there, but this is a really powerful text. For the word of God is living. It is living. It is active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature, not one, is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This book is divinely powerful. No book on any bookshelf in the world is as powerful as this book. And we not only read this book, the uniqueness of this God's speech is that this book reads us. It transforms us. The deepest impressions of our thoughts and it woos us to the lover of our souls. Last weekend, I was in Denver and uh, was a part of a faith at work symposium and one of our members joined us in this conversation with business leaders, artists, and pastors and academic types. One of the highlights for me of that day, last Saturday, was the ride to the airport. If you've been to Denver, you know it's a long ride. (laughs) And... uh, a member of Christ Community and myself got a ride after the symposium to the airport by a, a vivacious young lady. Once we got in the car, she talked without a break. <laughs> but it was awesome. She told us her story and how she ended up at the symposium of faith and work. She grew up on the East Coast. Great place to grow up. She grew up in a Jewish faith. 
a wonderful heritage. She said, I learned Hebrew. I read some of the Old Testament. I went through all the motions, but I never figured this thing out at all. It seemed distant to me. She said, I left Massachusetts after graduating from an Ivy League school. She said, I moved to Denver. I wanted to go see the mountains. I wanted to enjoy the mountains. I wanted to enjoy life. And she said, little did I know that I would find life when I arrived in Denver. She says, for some reason, you know, and I think she, she was a bright, she's a bright intellectual young lady. She felt like as a thoughtful person, and again, maybe you're like that here this morning. You're not really sure about the Christian faith, but you know the Bible is huge in Western history, and it's important. She says, I think I need to read this thing just to be an informed person. So good for her. She starts in Genesis. She knew some of it in Hebrew. She starts and reads all the way through the Bible. And with tears in her eyes, she said, my life has been radically changed. For the first time, I saw how life fits together. I began to see Messiah Jesus. And she said, my life is now so radically different. She joined the church that teaches God's word. She's reading the Bible. And she said, my life is so happy, I cannot even imagine it. She moved to Denver to enjoy life. She moved to Denver and found life. She opened this book. If you were just around her, there was a fragrance of her life. It was just contagious. Because she is in this book, and this book is in her. And this book points her to the lover of her soul, our Lord Jesus, who came to earth, who died on the cross, who rose from the dead. And this book points us from Genesis to the maps to the person that our souls long for. This book is of a divine source. It expresses the divine characteristics of its authorship. It is so powerful, it's unimaginable. But don't miss where the psalmist goes. It is what our soul delights in. Notice what the psalmist says in verse 10. Do you see this? He brings two metaphors of gold, much fine gold. Who would want a lot of gold right now, <laughs> right? The idea is just tons of gold, the greatest riches imaginable. And the sweetest thing in that cultural context was honey, just coming, dripping from the honeycomb. I call it, you know, a Dairy Queen blizzard. Snickers is what I like. <laughs> but the psalmist says, when we read this book, our souls are filled with rapture and delight. You go, whoa, come on. Let me ask you a question. This week, what has brought delight to your soul? You were created with delight and wonder in mind. Your soul, my soul, longs for delight. It might be a beautiful sunset like I saw last night. It might be the birth of your grandchild. I haven't been there yet, but I hear it's awesome. It might be the birth of a child. It might be a poem. It might be a conversation. It might be a special moment where you just delighted in that moment. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What does the evil one do? At his bullseye is to steal your wonder and delight in God alone. And the psalmist says, this book brings delight to your soul. It's a lasting delight, not a fleeting one, because it points us to the person of delight. Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, y'all, in the 16th century understood this. 
And um, Martin Luther lived a pretty difficult life. It was all drudgery to him, religious drudgery, until he came to Christ. One of the most religious men around who didn't know Jesus. But he found this book in a new way, and it found him. And Martin Luther said this. He said, this book is the manger in which Jesus is laid. This book from beginning to end is about Jesus. And Jesus invites you through his death and resurrection and the power of the Spirit to live the life you long to live and to know Jesus intimately. This book is the greatest treasure in Maserol. But there is an irony, isn't there? Do we really treasure this book? If you've been a part of Christ's community for a while, you're probably thinking, yeah, we do. I mean, the, the Bible's important. We open it every Sunday and we teach it. And it's one of our five core values to reveal God's design for life. Go look at the website. We're deeply into it. The Bible is very important at Christ's community, right? But how often do we open it? How often do we open it? We talk a lot about, at Christ Community, about closing the Sunday to Monday gap, and that's really important, to, to connect faith and work in our lives and vocation, to close this gap, and we are passionate about this, but there's another Sunday to Monday gap that we need to address, many of us. And that is, we open this Bible on Sunday, but it's closed on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So how do we deal with this irony? There's never been a time in human history where we've had more of the access of the Bible around us. It's all around us. Bible's everywhere, but the Bible's not in us. And that's the elephant in the room. I went to Amazon.com. It's kind of fun to go there. I go there a lot because I'm a book nerd or a Kindle nerd. And I just put in the Bible in the search on books. Do you know how many results I got? You ready? 516,781. There's the life application Bible. I didn't know you needed a Bible to apply it, but I guess so. There's even the triathletes training Bible. If you're into triathletes, I mean, there's every kind of Bible imaginable. There's the recovery Bible. There's the talking Bible. I don't know how that works. My favorite is the Bible for dummies. There is, and then, get this, there's a Bible for Dummies mini edition. Is that for the real dummies? <laughs> I mean, there are Bibles everywhere. Zillions of them crying out, open here, open here. And they lie like this. A few years ago, Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago launched a study called Reveal. We were a part of this as evangelical churches that view the Bible highly, right? That's our tribe. <laughs> 80,000 members were interviewed about their spiritual life. There were some amazing results. Let me highlight a couple. The number one thing church members wanted of all these respondents, 80,000 across our country, the number one thing they wanted for their church was what? To help them understand our Bible better. That makes sermonators like me pretty happy, actually. But then, there's more. 
the number one factor that determined spiritual growth in their life, they said, was consistent Bible reading. And yet the results were 40%, at least, seldom have ever opened this book during the week. And the Reveal authors said this, the Bible is the most powerful catalyst of spiritual growth. The Bible's power to advance spiritual growth is unrivaled by anything else we have ever discovered. Wow. Do you feel the irony? Research tells us that this book is transforming. This is the most important thing for your spiritual life and growth. Yet many of us keep it close all during the week. So let me ask you. So I'll meddle a little bit, but I love you. I'm wrestling with this myself, okay? Look back this week. How many times did you open this book? Don't tell your spouse. Tell someone next to you. How many times? Between you and God. What does that say for the health of your soul? The health of your marriage if you're married? The health of your life? Your friendships? Your relationships? See, I know the things that are causing me to flourish. I do them every day, right? I mean, physically, right? I mean, I'm good at eating. I mean, I got to eat every day. I do it, you know? You know, it keeps me alive. It helps me flourish. I even brush my teeth just for the good of everyone else. I jog most of the time. See, the things that keep me healthy and alive, I do every day. I wouldn't think of going without doing that every day. But when it comes to what makes our mind and soul healthy, and yes, our body in many ways, the Bible, we just leave it there. Why is that? Well, sometimes I think we really believe we don't need this during the week. That we're pretty good on our own. Or when we open it, our lives are so different than what we see here, we go, eh, I can't do that. Dallas Willard hits this so well. I think he reads our mail often. He says this, I believe one reason why so many people do in fact fail to immerse themselves in the words of the New Testament and neglect or even avoid them is that the life they see there is so unlike what they know from their own experience. And then he says, this is true even though they may be quite faithful to their church in the ways Jesus prescribed, or in the ways prescribed, and really do have Jesus Christ as their only hope. We all fall short of the life we see in Scripture. But this is God's love letter to us. And it points us to Christ and his glorious grace. This is God's love letter to us. And will we treasure it? Will we find the one to whom this book points us to? It is a true treasure. There is a telling irony. But I want to share with you in the next couple minutes the year ahead because it's going to be terrific. I really believe this. No hype. Beginning in 2013, we are going to emphasize reading our Bibles. Sounds like a novel idea. And... Uh, the theme we're going to have is open here. Open here, one story, one year. Now, some of you are going to think, oh, a program. This is not a program. This is a passion we have. Our staff, our leaders are passionate about helping us get in God's word every day. The goal is to read the Bible every day. This is not a legalistic thing. This is a love thing. We want this for our congregation. We want this for Tom, for each one of us. So how is it going to work? We have a plan. In January 2013, we are going to begin seven series, 
It's a good number, don't you think? Message series, expositional series that walk ourselves in one year from Genesis to Revelation. I'm really excited about it. We're going to land each week on one text. We're going to explore it deeply and fully as we always do here. And we're going to get the broad story of the Bible in our sermon series. But we're also going to have a reading plan, a Bible reading plan. Yes, you're going to make it through Leviticus. A Bible reading plan, and it's going to have two options. One is to read all the Bible. It's four chapters a day. But you're also going to have the opportunity to read one chapter a day, which gives you 30% of the Bible at least, just by one chapter a day. We're going to have web-based resources for you to look at the web, for children, for students, for families. We're going to have videos, 52 of them, one for each week, to look at what we're reading and what the message is going to be about and help you understand the scripture that you're reading that week. We want to give you a nudge. It is your role to grow spiritually. We're going to encourage community groups. Our community group is going to be going through this as well, reading through our Bible. And I want to encourage all of us to do this. You may be thinking this morning, ha, that's cool. You may be sort of the tigger, like, let's add it. Or you may be feeling a bit Eeyore-ish. Like, I'm not really sure. I mean, you know, I'm a free spirit. I don't, I don't like those things. I'm going to say, don't be such a free spirit. You don't join us. Get over it, okay? I like free spirits, but this is an opportunity. But most of us are going to say, I don't have time, right? We're all really busy. But let me do this. I want to read Psalm 19, just a chapter. How long does it take? And I'm going to have a timer. You're going to time me, okay? So I'm going to read it, listen to it. And I want you to grasp how long it takes for me just to read it. Psalm 19, one chapter a day. This is how long it takes for us to open the Bible every day. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy, its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, more to be desired than gold, even than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his heirs? Declare to me, the innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now I read that slow. How long did it take? A minute and 38 seconds. Okay. How many of us have a minute and 38 seconds every day? Early morning, at night, sometime. We can all do this. And we want you to jump in. 
So we're going to help you. We're going to give you all kinds of resources. We have wonderful reading plans for you, and we are very excited about it. Every message on, in 2013 will either be about something you just read or you're going to read. And again, we're going to have a three-minute video each week for you to read and get a context of where we are. We're going to have open here blogs, conversation starters. It's going to be great. So I'm asking you this morning, will you consider joining us? Will you go to our website this week? I know it's a holiday week. Familiarize yourself with all the resources. There's some great ones for you. Talk to your spouse or roommate, your family or friends. And I want you to consider joining us in opening here every day. One of the things I hear from people who are checking out the Christian faith or don't know much about the Christian faith, I don't understand the Bible. How does it work? We have the most amazing opportunity to invite others in 2013 to have them exposed to the wonderful story of Scripture. So will you join us? In 2013, will you join us? Will you jump in? Charles Spurgeon, a great pastor of fame in many ways in the 19th century in England, said this. He said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Will you join us? It's going to be great. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our congregation as we seek to open this book every day in 2013. Not for drudgery or legalism or any of that stuff, but to delight in you and to grow together as your people. Lord, nothing changes us like this book. Nothing brings greater delight. So open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.